Happy Sabbath, Church. Uh, Pastor Adrian here. Um, I hope you all are well. Uh, just an update, as many of you are already aware, most of you should be by now, that uh, this Sabbath we are reopening the Mount Pleasant Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're very excited about that, um, and it looks like we'll have a decent uh, little crowd. Um, our board met this week, uh, last Monday, by phone, and it uh, wasn't an easy conversation. Um, we had lots to talk about. Uh, concerning the guidelines con uh, about who would come, and uh, it, it just is not a, a, an easy thing to navigate through, but uh, by the grace of God, our leadership came together, and we decided to reopen this Sabbath and use the guidelines that were given by our conference, our state, and our federal government. And uh, this, basically, the uh, the main guidelines that people will notice when they come back is the social distancing, um, the cleaning where necessary, and uh, we won't be passing around an offering plate, but uh, be having it in a place where people can put in their offerings. So just these type of things that we will be doing um, for a period of time. And I want to emphasize that this is only temporary. And uh, we will get back to normal in our church services. And we want to create an environment that is safe for our most vulnerable members. And that's one of the emphasis on these guidelines. Um, that's one of the reasons why we are having minimal services uh, church service only from 11 to 12 at this time. Um, so please be, again, as I've emphasized Sabbath after Sabbath, to be praying for our leadership and be praying for us as we uh, move back uh, into worshiping here at the uh, sanctuary. And just um, continue giving feedback. Uh, your voice matters in what we do here. So um, I'm just very excited that we're going to be uh, having church here in Mount Pleasant. Uh, we've been doing it in Paris for a few Sabbaths, and it's also been a really wonderful experience. It's nice to see people that you haven't seen for weeks and in some cases months. Uh, so it's just a real blessing. Um, today we'll be on that topic of church. Uh, today's message will be from Matthew chapter 16. And we will look at verses 13 through 20. And today's message uh, will be a little bit different. Uh, today's message, as I was studying this week, I was reminded here in Matthew 16 how important it is to understand um, where Jesus and his disciples are having this conversation. The language in this passage is quite important. And if we don't understand these things, it can be quite confusing, um, and it can be taken out of context to and interpreted in a way that God never intended it uh, to be. So today's message will be somewhat technical, uh, but I know that once we really uh, dive deep into it, God has a, a special blessing for those who are listening. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And it reads, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I pray today, God, as we look at this very important passage uh, for your people, for the times in which we live, I ask and pray, God, that uh, you would guide me with your Holy Spirit as I speak. May these be your words and your message and not mine. And I pray that each one listening, God, that your spirit and angels would minister to them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin uh, the message by inviting you to come with me to Caesarea Philippi, a very uh, beautiful place in the Middle East, in northern Palestine. Sumanko and I had an opportunity to visit there when we went with the other pastors for the uh, Israel trip last year uh, in August. I had heard about this place before from professors and on the radio and other, other uh, uh, um, sermon ministries, and uh, it was quite like how it been, had been described to me, and it wasn't disappointing at all. You see, Caesarea Philippi is a unique city uh, in the Gospels because it is really outside of the strong influence of Judaism. It is, if you can imagine in your mind, the far northeastern part of Palestine. So this is uh, beyond the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's, it's beyond the borders of Israel, so to speak. It's beyond the borders of Galilee itself. It's in the northeastern part and it's coming into pagan territory. So uh, we took a bus when our group uh, visited Caesarea Philippi. We, Of course, we drove up the mountain, and uh, we got to the top of this area. And as we got out, uh, walked through the parking lot, and started walking towards uh, this specific place that uh, we were going to, we were walking towards a cliff, uh, a cliff that was a, a couple hundred feet high. And as we did, there was a beautiful, clear stream to our left as we walked towards the cliff. Uh, it was so nice. The water was coming out. You could see it was coming out from, uh, from the mountain, uh, and it was so crisp and clear. It was tempting to go over and, and try to take some out and drink it. It was just, it was beautiful. And as we walked towards this cliff, there was also beautiful trees around, um, and it, it was a really a, a kind of a postcard type of uh, uh, image that we had as we were approaching the cliff. Uh, it was nice. It was peaceful. It was quiet. It was away from the big city. It wasn't 
close to the ocean. Um, so it was, it was a nice, almost kind of secluded type of place. And as we approached, as you got closer to this area, and you got closer to the cliff, you begin to notice um, certain um, interesting geographical uh, um, things within the side of this mountain. One of them in particular is a cave. As you approach the cliff, you begin to see a cave, or a, a nice-sized cave, as you approach Caesarea Philippi and the side of this cliff. And so it's one of the first things you notice uh, about the side of this cliff, but as you walk even closer, you begin to see something else. And what you see close to the cave are these notches that are carved out of the side of the cliff there. And it's a little indistinct, but as you get closer, you can see the detail, um, these carvings that ancient people made in the side of the cliff. And these notches, these carvings that were made out of the side of the cliff, were actually um, places where ancient pagans put their idols. These were like resting places for their idols in the side of this cliff. And as you walked along the side of this cliff, you could see a number of notches in the side of the cliff. Not just one or two, but a number of them. And as you walk along the cliff there, they have these uh, educational, uh, historical um, markers there, these, um, these instructions or these uh, explanations of what these notches were for and the different gods that were worshipped there. So they had a notch and they also had temples that used to be built on the side of this cliff as well. And so they had a number of temples. They had a number of, of these places of worship in the side of this cliff in Caesarea Philippi. And so as the pagans would come, they could uh, worship a number of gods there. One of the main gods that they worshipped in this place was the god Pan. Uh, maybe you've heard of Peter Pan. He was the god of the forest and he was the god of the shepherds. And he was the chief god who, was, who this area was dedicated to hundreds of years before Christ's time by the Greeks. And so they built a temple there um, in front of the cave, actually, and they worshipped the god Pan. And over time, they built these other temples and these other notches. They had a temple to Zeus. They had a temple to Nemesis. They had a, a temple to these other gods that they worshipped there. You could see them. And they even had pictures there on, um, on these, these boards uh, that showed what the temples looked like and where they may have been placed. Again, the temples are not actually there anymore. They were destroyed uh, over time. But the carvings in the side of the cliff were not. And so this is the place that Jesus brought his disciples to when he asked this most important question. And now they may not have been right in front of the cliff. They might have just been off at a distance. Um, or it may have just been in the background. Just being around in the presence of this, this place. This was a place steeped in heathenism and pagan worship 
for hundreds of years. And there were many pagan practices that took place in this area. Now, the natural surroundings were beautiful, uh, again, peaceful and serene. But it was a place that was uh, heavily steeped in pagan worship. And one of the things that we need to remember about this place as well, too, again, is that it was all centered around this cliff that protruded out of uh, this, this mountain and this cave as well. And so this is the place where Jesus took his disciples and he asked what in the Bible may be the most important question uh, that is asked to the disciples and that is asked to us today. Who do you say that I am? That's the question that Jesus put forth. And so the Bible says that they, the the disciples, said that some people are calling you John the Baptist. Some people are calling you Elijah. And some people are calling you Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, this was a great compliment to give someone because because these were the chief prophets of uh, their time and of the Old Testament as well. And so, normally, this would have been a a great compliment. But the one asking the question is none other than Jesus Christ. So, all these comparisons, they fail when compared to Jesus Christ. This is not good enough. Jesus was not just a good prophet. He was not just one of the greatest prophets, as some religions even today teach that Jesus is only a prophet. But that's not what the Bible teaches. So he pressed the question again, but he pressed it directly to the disciples. And he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter makes this radical and bold confession about the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, you are the Christ, that means Messiah in the Hebrew, the son of the living God. Now, for us as Christians in the 21st century, we say amen, because we should. This is what we believe. But this is a very radical thing for the disciples, even one of them, to confess at this time. It it was so radical that uh, maybe it's one of the reasons why Jesus brought them to this place to begin with. One of the many reasons, because if they would have said this openly in front of Jews, in front of other other, uh, Jews who were listening, or the scribes or the Pharisees, they would have charged the disciples with blasphemy, probably. And so there would have been a lot of pushback, and, and it would have been a very difficult uh, to, for the disciples to regain uh, traction in their ministry. But at the time of Christ, this was a very bold and radical confession that Peter made. But this is exactly what Jesus wanted to hear from his disciples, Because Jesus had been rejected by the Jews. By this time, he was being rejected by the religious leadership, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers. And even uh, the, the government of his time was rejecting him. 
The pagans, of course, they really were not involved at this time, but they had obviously, they were worshiping other gods. And so Jesus is about to be crucified and resurrected. And the work that he came to do would not be finished. It would not be uh, perpetuated. It would not continue unless somebody or a group of people could understand the truth about who Jesus was and what he came to do. So this was an all-important truth that needed to be out in the open and accepted by a group of believers for Jesus' ministry and his life work to continue on in this world. Somebody had to be willing to accept and proclaim the divine revelation of God about Jesus Christ. And if, if nobody got this truth, if nobody understood this, then, then that work and ministry would have failed. So this was, this was very important. So Peter makes this confession. And he says to Jesus that you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. And before I want to go on, I, I want to say something here about Jesus' uh, response. He says to Peter that, first of all, he blesses him. He says that you are blessed, Simon Barjona, you are blessed because this truth that you are speaking is not revealed to you by man. This is not something that you um, just kind of sat around and thought about and it came to you. It's not something you studied out and, and you discovered. This is a divine revelation by God himself to you. This is not something that the sinful heart, the fallen human being, can simply um, come to understand by itself. It needs the divine work of God for that light to spark in the mind and the heart. And so Jesus credits this truth coming to Peter with the divine work of God. It was none other than the Holy Spirit who was communicating this truth to Peter. So he blesses him. And, that, and he tells him he received a divine influence, a revelation um, about who Jesus was. And then Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, I want to talk here about the wordplay that Jesus is using between Peter and, and rock. But before I say that, let me, before I talk about that, let me say something here that when Peter confessed Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the, and the Messiah, the Savior of the world, when he understood who Jesus really was, it was at that time that Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter, or you are a rock. Now, this was a great compliment to any Jew of the time. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the different words that are used here. But Jesus does call uh, uh, Kephas, he does call uh, this man Peter. That's the name that Jesus uh, gives him, and it means rock. It, in the original Greek language, it is Petros. 
And so the Jews of the time, they would, um, they would call some of the old prophets and some of the old uh, uh, teachers, they would call them a rock. They often referred to Abraham as a rock. And even we know in the Old Testament that God is often called our rock. Now, that doesn't mean that, that uh, they're comparing Peter to God at all. Now, that's not the case. It is simply a compliment as to what God is going to do through him, that God was going to use him in a mighty way to do a great thing for God and his church in the future. And so Jesus says something about Peter's identity. He says something positive about what Peter is going to uh, be like as the Christian movement goes forward. He calls him a rock. And so this came, this confession from Jesus came as Peter confessed Christ. And I don't want us to miss this because we will never fully understand who we are and what God has for our life and the purpose that God's God has for our life and the role that God has for us in the church and in the world and at work and in our family, we will never fully understand these things as God designed them until we understand first who Jesus Christ is. So our identity, our purpose in life, our motivation, our um, Our whole existence is wrapped up in an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. So if anybody ever asks you or ever hear the question being mentioned, what what is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? What am I to be doing? And, And what direction is my life supposed to take? We should in some way lead people to an understanding of who Jesus is first. Because that's foundational for us having our identity. And so Jesus, he speaks to Peter, um, calling him a rock, a Petros. And then he says, on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Now, often when we read this uh, passage and we read this particular verse 18, we as Protestants, we, um, we have a tendency, our first knee-jerk reaction is to respond by saying, what does it not mean? Because as Protestants, uh, we do not believe that Jesus is saying that the church itself was founded upon Peter as the first bishop or pope. And uh, this, is a, this is one of the foundational teachings of Protestantism. This is why we are, uh, are called uh, Protestants. We're, we're coming out of this, this uh, uh, entity that has its foundation more on individuals or people rather than on the scriptures and God himself. Uh, now, where, how can we be so sure? How can we be so firm that Jesus is not really saying that Peter himself is the rock on which the church is founded? Well, there are just 
a few scriptures that we can turn to here. Uh, actually, there are quite a number, but we will only look at uh, a couple here. Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and verses 19 and 22. Ephesians chapter 2, and verses 19 through 22, it says, this is Paul speaking to the church. He says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, that is their teaching, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So the foundational teachings of the prophets and and the apostles, this was very important because it all led to the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, who is the foundation of the church. And also 1 Peter 2 4 and 5. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. And Peter writes here, he says, Coming to him, that is Jesus, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones, and being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is that living stone. And we as the body of Christ are like smaller stones that are being built upon that foundation that is Jesus Christ. Now, another something that I um, um, saw when I was in Israel is... um, when the day that one of the days that we went to the temple uh, courts there in Jerusalem, um, of course the temple is gone; it was destroyed in seventy A.D. But the foundations are still there, you know. And of course the Muslims they built a mosque where the old temple used to be. But uh, before you, as you come, there are different ways to come up to the temple area. And as you do, there's like an outer wall around this 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 city, the inner city. Um, and there's this outer wall, and on the southern part of that wall, as you come up and you approach it, it's a high wall. There is a little place in a corner where our guide had pointed out to us, if you go over to that corner you can see that there is kind of a, a break in the stones, if you will. There's, there's some stones that have not been built completely on this one little area where you will see that there is bedrock exposed. And so we walk, I walked up to the, uh, to the wall, I went over to this corner, and sure enough, there is some bedrock that is exposed there there at the wall, at one of the southern walls um, of the temple area. And our guy told us that this place, this bedrock that is exposed, and that has not necessarily really been built on, on top of, they believe that this is where 
Abraham sacrificed, was going to sacrifice his son. And so the Jews and the Christians, we believe and know that uh, he was going to sacrifice uh, his son, Isaac. And uh, the Muslims, they teach something different. Uh, but they had such great respect for this, for this rock that they left it exposed for everyone else to see. And they built around that, that bedrock. And so everybody knew that that rock, that particular place, was of great importance. That particular place was, was like holy. It was something that, that the builders and, and all these uh, people, even the different religions over time between Judaism and Islam and Christianity, they respected that particular place. And so that's how it is with the Christian church as well, too. We are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And as people approach the church, as they come uh, to uh, the living church of God, they will often first see uh, like that wall. They will see all these other rocks. They will see all these other stones. But as they get closer and closer, they should be able to see the foundation that is Jesus Christ. We should be exposing Jesus. We should leave a place where Jesus is exposed to the world and to all who approach the church because he is the foundation of the church. Not any one person, not any one man or organization, but the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus. He is what people should see as they come closer uh, to the church. And so there's this debate that's been raging for centuries uh, about this passage, this text. As, as we said before, there, our Catholic brothers and sisters, they interpret this as saying that, that Jesus is making him uh, the leader of the church, um, which, if that were the case, then the question arises, why later on in Matthew did they argue about who would be the greatest? Why did they argue about this? And if, if, if Peter was such a foundation, why later on in Matthew did he deny his Lord? And then later on in Galatians chapter 2, we read that he was not totally uh, upfront about the gospel. So you see, it's not safe to found our, our faith, our religion on a human being. We should never do such a thing. So what is... What is Jesus saying here? He does say here that, that Peter is the rock. That he says Peter, that name again, excuse me, I'm, let me back up here. Peter, the name again in Greek is Petros. Now, the word Petros, it means a stone or a boulder, a small rock found along a pathway it can be an isolated rock even by itself. So there's this idea where Jesus is lauding and praising what Peter has said, and he's, he's identifying him with someone who is strong and who will be a, a, a strong uh, representative for the church in the future. But then Jesus says, and on this rock, that's a different word in the Greek, and that word for rock is Petra. 
And that can mean a large mass of rock. It can mean a ledge or even a cliff. It can mean stony ground. It can be solid or native rock rising up through the earth. So you, you, you begin to see that Jesus is using a play on words here. That the rock on which the church would be founded, as, as they're thinking about Petra, they can see in the distance, or they know in the distance, there is this cliff where people are worshiping these false gods. And so you get the idea in your mind that, that somehow Jesus is connecting uh, his words and his question and Jesus' confession with what is happening in the background. And you see, I believe that the connection is, is that soon Jesus would be crucified and he would die. And, and the apostles, they would proclaim the gospel uh, to many Jews and later on to Gentiles as well. And many of the pagan Gentiles who worship these false gods, who worship these pagan gods and who were lost in darkness, would make up a great majority of the church of Jesus Christ. So he would call out these people out of their darkness and into the light into the church. As a matter of fact, the word church in the original language is the word ecclesia. And it comes from two words. Ek means from or out of, and kaleo means to call. So in the original language, the word church means those who are called out, those who are called out of the world to worship God. And so, Jesus wants his disciples, he wants them to have a strong sense of their mission to the Gentiles. And that is one of the reasons he brings them to this place. You see, Jesus was being rejected by those who should have accepted him but they did not. And so Jesus is beginning this transition of the people of God used to be the assembly or gathering of of Israel, but now it will be the assembly of the church, this new body of believers who will be called Christians or disciples. It would no longer be the assembly of Israel. It would be those who confess the same truth that Peter did. This would make up the church. So I found this quotation from the Desire of Ages as I was uh, reading this week. And she says something I think that is, is very important about our understanding of what's happening here in Matthew chapter 16. She says, the rock of faith is the living presence of Christ in the church. It's the presence of Christ. Upon this, the weakest may depend, and those who think themselves the strongest will prove to be the weakest unless they make Christ their efficacy. 
So it's the presence of Christ that is the rock. And we also see in this passage that it is not only the presence of Christ, but it's also the teachings of Christ as well, too. It is the teachings of the apostles and the prophets. For he says here in verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Well, what are these keys that Jesus is giving to Peter and to the disciples? Luke chapter 11 and verse 52. Luke chapter 11 and verse 52. Jesus He talks to the lawyers and he says, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter into yourself, you did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering you hindered. So key is a key of knowledge. The knowledge of what? Of the of the teaching of the apostles and of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, If we go back in chapter 16, that was the very issue that Jesus had with the religious leaders. And he told his disciples here in Matthew chapter 16, earlier in this chapter, just before they came to Caesarea Philippi, to be careful about the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, Verse 12 here, Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine or teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So you see, the, the doctrine or the teaching of truth were being taken away from the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they were being given to the disciples. And Jesus was the foremost, at least in the beginning of Acts, of those disciples who would preach and teach about the truth of Jesus Christ. So wherever the truth and wherever the presence of Christ is in any number, there is the church. And I want to argue that right here, in this place, far away from their comfort, far away from what is familiar to them, even in the presence of this pagan area, that Jesus and his disciples are actually having church. You have the most two most important elements, or three most important elements to having church. That is the presence of Christ, the truth and the teachings of Christ and the Bible, and those who worship and confess Christ as Savior and Lord. So right here in this place, by this beautiful stream and this beautiful serene place, they were having church. They were having church together. It was here in Caesarea Philippi that the most important truth for the church was first spoken. And the church has endured throughout the ages and through every trial as long as they have kept his truth as their foundation. As long as they have invited his presence to be with them. You know, um, 
some time ago, as you all know, we had a trip to um, Thailand, and we took uh, some of our church members there, and uh, we were there for uh, about a week and a half. And I remember uh, coming home from one of the schools that we went to regularly. Um, we would often ride in the back of a pickup truck, and uh, we would take this uh, this journey home or this ride home. It, it took a little bit of time to get there. And, of course, it was always at night, and it was usually my, myself and my wife and a few others. And I remember times that we would be in the back of, of a pickup truck, uh, with some, usually with some young people, and we um, would be in the back there riding, um, and we'd just be sharing with each other about the day or about who we were, where we were from, or what our plans for the future was. And it was nice at times that we could look up at the beautiful stars that God had made, or the big beautiful moon in the back of that pickup truck. And there were times that we sang together, There were times that we shared our faith with each other and times that we prayed together. And I enjoyed this very much. Even though I was tired and I was filthy and dirty, it was so nice to worship in the back of that pickup truck. And in reality, many times, uh, I believe that that Jesus' presence was with us. And so we were having church in the back of a pickup truck as it was moving. And I really enjoyed that. I miss those type of things that we do uh, on our mission trips. I really enjoy, and I remember sometimes those type of things the most. Because Jesus has promised to be present wherever we are worshiping. And so I want to say and, and encourage us to remember what church is really all about. What, what is it all about? About Is it about the four walls here? Is It is about the routine and the things that we are always familiar with. Those are good things. Those are our cherished things. But what is church really all about? Think about this time when Jesus and his disciples had church in Caesarea Philippi. But why, what might be even more important than the place, whether it is here or whether it is there, or how many people are present, is how do we answer this question, both individually and as a body of believers? How do we respond to the question, who do you say Jesus is? What does his living presence mean to you? What does his living presence mean? mean to you? And how has it changed your life? I would argue that whenever a family worships together at home, they are having church. Whenever a family goes to their neighbor who just had a baby and brings them a gift, a card, and a little tract, and and, and gets to know them, that they are sharing the truth of Jesus. His presence is with them. They are having church. So I want to encourage us today as the body of believers that have endured difficult times throughout all the centuries and all the ages, through pandemics, through wars, 
through persecution to know that the church of Jesus Christ will continue to come together and assemble and worship no matter what happens to the very end of time. And for those of you who are not able to be with us today, we miss you dearly. We miss you dearly. But know that wherever you are, wherever Christ is present, wherever his truth is taught, you are having church. May God bless you and happy Sabbath.